Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Start a free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code CANADALAND. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. So that wouldn't happen now? I I can say that I, you know, I can't guarantee anything, but I would like to believe that uh, that would not happen ever again at the CBC. Uh, We have zero tolerance for it. And if it ever did, uh, we would be moving on it uh, much, much more swiftly than we did in 2008. It's still happening. Claims of workplace harassment, of abuse, of a toxic workplace culture, of bullying at the CBC. People have been bringing us these stories for a long time now. The Gomeshi scandal did not put an end to them. If anything, it shook them loose from secrecy. Yes, there are new measures in place. A CBC hotline to report bullying. Mandatory anti-bullying training. Anti-bullying posters. And the general establishment of the word bullying as a hot-button buzzword. A big no-no. Something you do not want to be accused of if you work at the CBC. And yet the complaints keep coming. Last week, we reported on some of them. Canada Land editor Jane Litvinenko and I conducted a thorough investigation into three instances of post-Gameshi bullying and harassment claims that came our way. We spoke to over a dozen people, received comment from many more, and then we published. In a nutshell, serious workplace bullying and harassment claims have been made at CBC Radio 1's As It Happens, at CBC TV Sports, and at high levels of the CBC bureaucracy. And as it happens, the CBC's union compiled a list of 21 complaints from about a dozen current and former producers. At CBC Sports, this past summer during the Pan Am Games, a contract producer filed a formal grievance, which proved successful 
after she was verbally abused on the job. And the director of the Human Resources Department, the department that oversees the investigation of these bullying complaints, well, she herself is on leave pending the outcome of a workplace bullying allegation. We must stress that all of these complaints are disputed by the people who were complained about. Even the verbal abuse complaint that resulted in a successful formal grievance, the one that a superior had to apologize for, he disputes the account of the event that he apologized for. This stuff is messy. It's ugly. But it is still happening, at the public broadcaster and elsewhere, and we will report on it. But the way that we report on it, the way that we report on stories like this, the fact that we grant our sources anonymity, and the impact that that has on how we tell their stories, has led, as it always does, to questions about our journalism. Today, Jane and I will answer those questions. If you're able to, this would be a great time to pause this podcast and read our article about bullying and harassment claims at the CBC, if you haven't yet, because everything that follows will be with reference to that piece. If not, we'll try to summarize as we go along and answer the questions and concerns that people have posed to us online. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Leon Lukashevsky, Evan Taylor Hickey, Sander, Carly Agonic, David Schultz, Thor Bjarnason, Doug McDonald, and Anuba Momin. Anuba, why did you decide to be awesome? I listen to Candleland because despite the fact that I spend the entire day on the internet, Jesse Brown and his team still bring me stories that I can't find anywhere else. And I think that's really great. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder. I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it is all included when you sign up for a Squarespace website. It is easy to create a website with Squarespace. Simple, intuitive. You can add and arrange your content and features with a click of a mouse. You get a free custom domain, beautiful templates, seamless commerce tools. More and more of us make our livings online, and Squarespace is built for those of us who do. Squarespace is trusted by hundreds of thousands of savvy shop owners, and their customer support runs 24-7. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code CANADALAND. You will get 10% off. Squarespace, set your website apart. This episode is also brought to you by CampTech. CampTech provides workshops for grown-ups who want to learn how to do computers better. So what we're talking about here are half-day or full-day digital skill workshops where you can learn practical stuff that you can use. Things like Google Analytics, online retail Photoshop, and now podcasting. 
but you should act quickly if you want to sign up for one of Camp Tech's podcasting workshops because they have proven to be incredibly popular. I asked Camp Tech's founder, Avery Swartz, about that. Even before we started promoting it, people just noticed that it was up on the website and were like, oh, wow intro to podcasting, like, you know, spend a whole day, learn all of, uh, you know, everything you need to know uh, to get up and running with your own podcast. People, there are a lot of ways to learn about how to do stuff on computers. You can just look at a YouTube video if that's what you want to do. But if you really want to learn this stuff intensively and you don't want to take like a 14 week night course, check out Camp Tech. Their courses start at just $85. You go to a cool location and you learn with people who are really interesting and working in creative fields and starting interesting businesses. Go to camptech.ca for more info. Check it out now. Jen, you want to start us off by reading this tweet by uh, Tim Lemuel? Sure. All right. Is, quote, favoritism, quote, micromanaging, and, quote, no thanks given, really bullying. Every workplace is full of bullies then. So this is something that we heard different versions of, people reading the list that the Canadian Media Guild, uh, the CBC's union, compiled when they spoke to, and this is, in their words, about a dozen current and former As It Happens producers. And this was the master list of everything they heard about workplace concerns and As It Happens. Uh, what Tim Lemuel did there, I think, is pick some of the more trivial-sounding um, things on that list. Favoritism, micromanaging, no thanks given. There were other things on that list. There were yelling and accusations of verbal abuse and aggressive behavior by senior team members. Employees were told not to take lunch breaks. Racist and sexist attitudes. Culture of abuse within leadership team for more than a decade. Intimidation, favoritism of certain staff, and the list goes on. So I think that this is important to uh, get into some detail about that we would not report on something if we didn't feel that the accusations were of behavior that crossed the line. And that's an important document, that list that the union compiled, because it's, you know, this is what the union itself was able to find. But it was important to us to have in-depth conversations with, uh, we spoke to seven current and former producers of As It Happens. So we know the stories behind many of those allegations. This document was very important to us, like you said, because it was not an official list. CBC and CMG, CBC's union, of course, both told us that this was a working note, but it was compiled by union representative through interviews. So it was an important document. And when we spoke to our sources, we brought it up and we brought up the things in it and asked about the allegations in the document itself specifically as well. So further to that tweet, uh, and in the same vein, is this comment on our website from Ralph Perennial uh, on our Facebook page where he points to those same things, eye-rolling, favoritism, bosses who don't say thanks. How can anyone be expected to work in such a toxic environment? I believe he's being sarcastic there. This list of complaints might say more about the complainers than it does about the workplace. CBC has fostered a culture of intolerance. You can hear it in every CBC program these days. Sensitivity taken to the ultimate extreme. I mean, further to just having spoken to these people and heard about why they made those complaints... I think it's important to point out that if we had gotten the sense that this was, you know, just kind of whininess about it being a tough job, and if we felt that these uh, accusations were coming from a place of spite, uh, I think we would have had second thoughts about running this story. What I heard was far beyond that. What I heard 
was people who were at their wits end and who I think had had uh, exhausted every other recourse. You know, you're not going to go to management just because somebody rolled their eyes at you, but you might mention that uh, in addition to other complaints that you have. And I think that's an important thing to note here. Totally. If the union calls you up and says, well, okay, well, what's your, you know, what, what, what has been a problem for you working here? You know, you're going to be exhaustive in, in that. And, you know, I just want to put in a little point here that, you know, this is why I think the word bullying does a disservice to some of these allegations because, you know, the original context of bullying is about schoolyard bullying. And when it becomes an umbrella term that can point to things on the one hand, like eye rolling, and somebody could say, oh, I felt like I was treated disrespectfully, I was bullied. And at the far extreme, people could be facing, you know, really serious verbal abuse and intimidation, manipulation, and that also gets called bullying then you don't really know, then, you know, everything is bullying, nothing is bullying. We, we, we're going to use that term. I used it in my introduction because that has become official language of the CBC. That is what's on the posters. That's what's in the training module. But uh, I, I don't find it a useful term. And I think that it, it allows people to shrug off, you know, things that I think with more exacting language would be better described and which are not acceptable. Okay, I'm going to read uh, the next tweet. And this one's coming from Francois Caron. Um, he says, okay, let's start by asking Jesse Brown what due diligence he's applied against the info he has. And I'm assuming he's talking to both of us. I think that that's what he means. So why don't, uh, why don't you take that one, Jane? What was our due, due diligence when people told us these stories? Um, you know, I think that this is the time to mention that um, a lot of our sources told us stories uh, much more vast than what we were able to report. I think our first step was to get as much information from our sources as possible and see how that information can be corroborated with other sources or the document that we've received. So we were able to confirm some of the allegations in the union email uh, that was sent. And even though we were not able to report uh, many of those stories because our sources deeply feared losing their anonymity and uh, retribution from the CBC or their management or a stain on their career. Behind the scenes, behind that story is a lot of reporting that we did over the course of quite a long time. We've been working on this. One of the stories goes back months. We've been looking oh, into it for months. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that now's the time for us to remind people that we did our due diligence. Uh, we corroborated everything that we could with more than one source. And we went back to that original source document to see what are the facts. And it's those facts that we focus on. When we heard about that case of uh, verbal abuse um, at CBC Television Sports, we were able to find somebody who was there who independently, you know, verified that it happened, who witnessed this. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the as it happens stories, uh, you're walking a a tricky line because, you you know, seven different sources, none of whom could know that we're talking to the other ones. If you heard a story from one, you would uh, see if somebody else could tell their version of that story. There's a basic level of diligence just around our people, who they say they are. Like, you know, when when you say anonymous source, it sounds like somebody just like dropped in, uh, you know, an envelope under our door. We know these people's names. We confirm that they work where they said they did, when they said that they did. If they refer to emails when they're telling us their stories, we would we would try to see a copy of these emails. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, you know, and, and when you hear these stories in, in detail and you're talking to people, conversations, you know, 20 minutes, half hour, an hour, and they're telling you they're, they're spilling their guts out. And then you talk to somebody else, you know, uh, and the stories pile up. I, I, I think that there's a point at which, you know, if you're being spun or lied to, you, you think you'd catch something and um, we wouldn't proceed if that's something that, that had happened. I'm going to read you a second tweet, which uh, will kind of feed in what 
I've already mentioned. Give me one specific detail, one detail, one story, one name, one. That's from Mike Finnerty, who is the host of um, CBC Daybreak, the morning show in Montreal. And this is something that he, 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 he demanded in a few different tweets and that other people brought up as well, that this story is it's written so vaguely. Yes, we have this list and it's, it's the union's list. And yes, we have our own kind of general descriptions of what mm-hmm. happened on the show. But like, where's the story? Like, what was it actually like to work on the show? Why do these people need to complain to us? This also speaks to Francois' question about process. Like, we cannot tell you one of those stories because it's a small team. Like, I think on any given day, you've got like 10 people working on As It Happens. If we tell you a story about what happened to somebody when they felt that they were bullied, harassed, or abused, then that person's identity is blown. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm a radio guy. I know that, like, a story is the best way. I'm told by a person, hearing somebody's voice tell you, this happened to me. I walked into work one day, and this is what happened. That's the best way to convey information like this. But we couldn't. Our sources were less afraid of the public finding out who they are and more afraid of their colleagues at the CBC or their managers at the CBC finding out their identity. That is the fear here. So then how do you go about this? To, you know, to, to get back into this process question, we would ask each source, would you agree that that's true? You sort of are summarizing their own stories into a quote that each could agree to. And then you're like, okay, like this seems to be an indicative sentiment. Or some people would give you, uh, we would go back to people who gave us off the record stories and say, can we use this as a quote? And it's this very, you know, uh, careful process where they have to think very carefully. Well, uh, yeah, that quote doesn't seem to be about any specific incident, but could anyone figure out that that was me? Mm -hmm. When you're done with this, what you get is broad strokes. It's generalized. So uh, I can understand from a reader's point of view, and, and and that's the balance of this, is we could give the reader more at the expense of the anonymity of, of, of the sources. And ultimately we felt like it's just not, it's not worth it. We, we, we can do both. We can, we can tell people what's going on there without anybody losing their career or their job. Unfortunately, that means that there are going to be some people who say like, well, I don't, you know, I'm not satisfied with that story. And then it becomes a decision between not telling it or, or telling it in these broad strokes. We, we will tell these stories. I want to respond Jane to uh, a bit more of the public conversation that came out in response to this article. Mike Finnerty of the CBC was one of many CBC employees who sort of tweeted how shocked they were uh, by the story and, and expressed their admiration for the As It Happens uh, team, the senior people who uh, were the subject of these complaints. In fact, there were several people on the As It Happens team who tweeted something to the effect of, well, this hasn't happened to me. And, uh, you know, I'm surprised by this. Um, and, uh, you know, th- this isn't my experience at As It Happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of that? I think the first thing that comes to mind is just because something didn't happen to you or just because you didn't see something doesn't mean it wasn't happening. I also think that to tweet that or to say that completely discounts the about a dozen people who complained to the union. I don't know if it bodes well for those who did come forward to us also who went through the official channels and tried to tell, tried to fix things elsewhere. 
and then either came to us or were approached by us, and that's when they decided to tell their story. Both things can be true. You can absolutely have a positive experience on the show, both personally and with colleagues around you, but your other colleagues may experience that bullying and that harassment that we reported on. It's actually consistent with with the complaints themselves, Jane, because you know people did complain about that certain producers were, were, were treated you know favorably at the expense of others and that other people were singled out or frozen out and treated poorly. And, you know, I think that beyond that, you know, I, I had the same response as you when I first read it, like just on a human level, I, there's something that didn't, that rubbed me the wrong way about like, you just found out that your colleague feels that they were treated poorly, that they were abused, that they were harassed. And you stand up and say, well, I was never harassed. I, I never was treated this way. I'm not aware of that kind of thing. Like, what is the value of saying that? And then it occurred to me, maybe they feel they have to say that. Maybe they feel that they, they need to somehow publicly declare that they were not one of our sources who complained. And... I was surprised to see Carol off favoriting and retweeting the people who kind of like pledged their allegiance to the show and to its host and its and its leadership. I say all this now to point out definitively among the people who did not stand up to say that as it happens is wonderful, it's great working here, I've never seen this kind of behavior myself. Among the people who said nothing, there are people who never spoke to us. Okay, so that is no indication of who our sources were. There are people who did not speak to us, who did not complain to us. I have no idea if they complained otherwise, um, but they just didn't stand up and say everything is, 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 is fantastic here. So uh, after we reported the story, I got an email uh, from a CBC employee who also asked to remain anonymous, who works at uh, CBC, not in Toronto, but in Quebec. Now, this incident happened in 2008, and I'm going to read a part of the email. Okay. In 2008, they write, I witnessed an incident of verbal abuse within my team, someone in a position of power loudly yelling and swearing at a colleague. It was completely inappropriate and disproportionate to what was going on. We were all left shaken. The victim did not feel comfortable filing complaint, partly because there was a weird power dynamic going on, and it would have made it difficult for her to continue working on the show. So I decided to do it. But when I went to HR, I found out, and this is the bit that might be interesting to you, meaning yes, I guess, <laughs> um, that only the victim of the abusive behavior can file an official complaint. Since I was just a witness, there was nothing I could do. So now, every time I hear CBC saying no grievances were filed, I think of that incident. Often, the victim can't complain without jeopardizing their job. And if witnesses can't complain, well, then there's no one left. Uh, the ironic part, uh, a year or so earlier, CBC commissioned a study to find out why our burnout rates were so high. Uh, it must have been costing our insurance company a fortune. The study found that our self-reported levels of stress were similar to those of emergency room doctors. And, <laughs> I mean, no one's life is on the line here. One of the causes of this stress, the study found, was workplace behavior and culture. In response, the CBC made all employees follow a workshop called Respect in the Workplace. It was really good and basically said things like, CBC has zero tolerance for bullying. No one should be yelling at you. So after getting that email, I decided to get in touch with uh, both Carmel, Carmel Smith at the CMG Union. The president uh, of, the, uh, of the CBC's union. 
who did not respond to my email as of the time of recording this. But if she does respond, I'll definitely put it in the show notes. And uh, I also decided to get in touch with Chuck Thompson, who is the head of public relations at the CBC and a spokesperson. So uh, my question was simple. If an employee wants to file a complaint with HR on behalf of someone else, is that possible? Chuck Thompson responded initially with, I don't believe so, but let me confirm with HR. And then he got back to me a few hours later saying, we encourage our employees to come forward to their manager or HR should they experience or observe inappropriate behavior in the workplace. From there, a due diligence process is triggered to determine if further steps need to be taken. And I also went online to... Uh, the HR policy Chuck very handily linked us to when we were inquiring about our story. And their policy also says that they encourage anybody who experienced or witnessed the behavior to come forward. I followed up with whether an employee can file an official complaint on behalf of a coworker, and I didn't receive a response yet. But again, we'll update if a response comes. Okay, so it seems like even at the top levels of the CBC, they themselves aren't sure if you can file a grievance for somebody else. And at least in this case that uh, the uh, anonymous email writer uh, told us about, she wanted to file a grievance on somebody else's behalf and, and her understanding was that she couldn't. Right. And it should be noted that the union and HR that oversee Quebec are different than ones that oversee yeah. uh, Ontario. Why is this also important? Uh, if you read our story, what I think comes across is that this is a pivotal thing, whether your complaint is turned into a formal grievance or not. And, you know, you, you brought up earlier, Jane, about, you know, people coming to us. We talked about people coming to us when they've exhausted their other options. The one option that most of them did not exhaust is that they were not willing to file a union grievance. They would, they, they tried a number of things. They tried to work it out with their direct superiors, with their colleagues. They couldn't. They tried to go to HR didn't resolve to their satisfaction and they would come and like publicly talk about this through Canada land before they would file an official grievance. And I want to read you a quote from our story from one of our uh, sources, which says, I think the general understanding is filing a grievance is going to bite you on the ass. And that's a sentiment we heard again and again from almost all of our sources. Um, And, as we write in the piece, there are two people in the story who did file union grievances, the uh, complainant in the CBC TV sports story and Serena Tadani Anthony, the head of HR. Neither of those people are working at the CBC anymore. Now, so- we do need to re- uh, expand a little bit on uh, Serena's case with HR because it's a bit uh, tangled. So there was a grievance filed against her and then she uh, filed a counter grievance and she has been suspended pending investigation into bullying. And that is why she is no longer at the CBC. And the producer who worked um, on the Pan Am Games who filed a grievance was just not asked back. And there's more details on that as well. Yeah. Our source on the Pan Am Games story, uh, she's been in touch with us since we published. And um, what she wants to make clear that doesn't really come across in our story, just, you know, have to condense things to, to tell these stories, is that her first impulse was not to go and file an official grievance. Her first impulse, what she did, was, you know, take this up 
with uh, her direct superiors when she was verbally abused. And you can read about like the extent of the verbal abuse was pretty bad. Um, you know, you say verbal abuse, I think some people shrug it off. But if, if you read about it, um, what, what, what she alleges and what, you know, she filed a grievance that was successful about is, is a pretty extreme case. And she tried to get satisfaction working directly with the people she's supposed to go through. And she was just like rebuffed and she was, she had to keep working with a person. She was told she had to keep, she had to work it out with them, that neither of them were going anywhere. So she had to work it out. This is familiar stuff to anybody who's been following these problems at the CBC. And it was only when she was at her wits end that she filed the union grievance. Her story, it's just one story, but her story does support this idea that a union grievance is a bad idea for you to file it because even if you win, as she did, it's going to have consequences. We should add that her account of the story is disputed by the superior who yelled at her. But the resolution of the grievance was that he's had to apologize. The very interesting detail is that she did not receive a written apology despite asking for it several times. Instead, it was read to her. But initially, they wanted to put the the two of them in a room together um, so he could apologize in person. But she was incredibly uncomfortable because of the level of verbal abuse she received. Yeah, she didn't want to be alone in a room with him. And her story echoes Catherine Burrell's story at the CBC. She also got an apology from the CBC. And she said, fantastic, can you send me the apology? They wouldn't do it. Uh, Jane, I know that you asked Chuck Thompson, do you guys have a policy uh, against sending people, like when they're apologized to, like you won't send them a copy of that apology? And uh, I don't believe you answered that question. No, no, that question uh, went unanswered. Jean-Francois Mazai tweets, perhaps the real story should have been why employees tell union of problems but are afraid to file official grievances. I think that that is the big story. I mean, we tell these stories with, you know, in particular, and hopefully that, you know, that's one of the takeaways, is that, you know, beyond these isolated incidents, what needs to change there? I think that the grievance process, you can kind of create as many uh, online courses as you like, you can do all these things, put up posters, have a hotline. But if people are afraid to push the button, you have a process in place. And, it, you know, and, and if you look at the extremity of some of the allegations that the As It Happens team made, they're willing to make complaints about racist and sexist attitudes. They're willing to make complaints about verbal abuse. They're willing to make complaints about false allegations on the job, but they're unwilling to make a formal grievance. So that's a system that's broken. You know, that's a system that's mm-hmm. broken. And whatever reforms happen at the CBC, if they really care about doing something about this, I think that why are people afraid to file a union grievance? Uh, that's the, the, the central thing that any kind of reform would have to deal with. You know, that email that you read where she alludes to going to that respect in the workplace <laughs> seminar, I got to tell you, Jane, uh, maybe this is a full disclosure point. I went to that workshop. Uh, everybody at the CBC had to go to that respect in the workplace workshop. And it's, it's an interesting thing they do there where when there's a problem, like they-, they When you worked at the CBC. When I worked at the CBC, they find that they have an institutional problem, that they have stress levels that are like nearing that of ER doctors. And the way that they deal with that institutional problem is they offload it onto the employees themselves. The employees have to go take training, <laughs> right? You're describing a problem with the institution and the workers have to go. And I remember we were learning things like, well, what does respect in the workplace mean? Well, if you wear a cologne that's too strong, you're showing disrespect for your colleagues. I mean, and you sort of infantilize and patronize. I remember that, you know, there's an older gentleman, a legendary radio producer who was in the respect in the workplace workshop with me. And these very cheerful women were telling us about how we have to respect one another and not wear a strong cologne and ask the question, what does respect in the workplace mean to you? And this older gentleman uh, said, well, I always thought that respect was something you had to earn. And you know, it's this, it's this, you know, 
the, this way of codifying language is my same problem with the bullying thing. This is not necessarily about, uh, you know, and, and Jane, you, you got your hands on these slides from this new training module, this anti-bullying and harassment training module, where they ask people these multiple choice questions that like a five-year-old could answer, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, what is bullying in the workplace? Is it being mean? Is it is it kicking someone? Is it is it swearing at them? And is we it... should add that uh, we use some of those slides in our story in case somebody's curious and hasn't seen them yet. Yeah. Or if you just want to see them because they're hilarious, um, check out our story and uh, with the CBC's training module. You'll see what everybody at the CBC had to experience. So, like, I, I, it's this fallacy of, like, something must be done. We did something. Something has been done. Doesn't mean you actually dealt with the problem. I'm going to read a series of tweets by Dennis McGrath, um, who writes, Once again, Canada Land misses the story. CBC problem? Nope. Media problem. Most of us are freelance and it's worse. Which is not to say that Canada Land is wrong to report on CBC, but media is filled with power imbalances and bad management. Abuse is rampant. The problem, Canada Land, is the same as ever, thinking CBC is unique and beautiful flower. It's not, and others have it way way worse. First of all, to those of you who have it way, way worse, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. And by the way, we're here and we want like we want to report on those stories. You know, look, uh, a lot of this that we unfairly target the CBC, we have done workplace uh, condition stories about the Globe and Mail. We have done stories about the workplace conditions at the Walrus. Uh, we've done stories that touch on the workplace conditions advice at the National Post and Global News. So we will, we will anything in the Canadian media where people want to talk about problems and what it's like to work there, We were, that's what we're here to do is, is report on those stories. Like you said, we have and we will, and that is uh, sort of a big part of our role. But something that I want to address regarding the CBC specifically is that the CBC is our public broadcaster. Um, I remember speaking to one of our sources who said, these people are being paid by your taxpayer dollars to bully, harass, and abuse me. And that really strikes a chord because, yeah, it is our public broadcaster. Yes, we do pay for this. Not to say that everybody else shouldn't be scrutinized, but maybe there's a level of scrutiny we should put the CBC under that other organizations don't get because they are being paid by the public. And I know that this is a point that gets a lot of eye rolls, but uh, to hear a source say that you're paying for somebody to abuse me is a pretty strong message. Yeah, I hold them to a higher standard. You know, I think I think that's totally fair. I think that Dennis is right, though. I think that these problems are rampant across media. And I think that, you know, if we're actually going to move on to more of a solutions-based conversation, the union grievance process, I think, is one big piece of the puzzle. But the other thing is what is enduring and what no um, anti-bullying and harassment campaign or even a change to the formal union, you know, grievance thing could fix is when you have essentially a caste system where some people are on like teeny little temporary casual contracts where you can fire them without even having to fire them. You just don't rehire them. They're terrified to keep their jobs every day. And other people, either because they're on-air talent or because they're sort of like producers above the line, are considered untouchable, mission critical. Nothing that they do is going to result in their termination. That disparity is just rife for abuse. Absolutely. It's an industry-wide problem. And that's what some of the people who we spoke to for the Pan Am portion of the story told us as well. Because they all work in TV and they're contractors and they move from outlet to outlet, from job to job. 
they expect a certain a lack of work conditions. You know, um, a lot of them say they expect the long days, they expect the lack of breaks. It's when it crosses the line into something else that into something more extreme that they, you know, take a pause and are like, holy shit, this is actually happening. Like we don't have adequate adequate access to food and water. But most of them don't complain. And it is for that very reason, because their work is precarious and because they need that next contract, because that is their job. And getting that next contract is the only way they have of earning money in their career. Um, And it is absolutely an industry-wide thing. It is absolutely a precarious worker thing. And it's a sad reality. I think it's even beyond the industry, like, you know, the precarious workforce and, and that, uh, that that caste system situation is like it's like across the Canadian industry entirely cr- across the workforce. But there is something special. And I think Dennis alludes to it, this whole idea of CBC as a special flower. Like, I still kind of think that like mm-hmm. in every, our sources thought that they, they, they really care about like public broadcasting. But you hear this a lot when people talk about just how tough it is to work in media and some of these these jobs and the things that people are, are made to swallow. This idea that what they're doing is just so important that it kind of justifies the, the, the work conditions. And like, it's not. It's not. It's not worth it. Like, it's not... It doesn't matter that you're that you're making uh, an important current affair. Like I love as it happens. I think as mm-hmm. it happens, like I've been saying for years, what kind of reforms need to happen at the CBC? They need you to put more resources into things like as it happens. Every person we talk to, hands down, every person we talk to expects for the high stress environment of journalism or broadcasting to be high stress. They've all experienced newsrooms before. They all know what it's like and. We ask them, does this go beyond what you've experienced before? Is this a step above? And all of them said, yes, this goes beyond the normal stressful breaking news, journalism, like product deadline focused environment. So much of this is about how the institution responds to individuals and sort of denies their humanity, denies them their rights, and, and like, you know, in some cases just calls them liars. And the way that, and we saw it in the official responses we got, we put out, you know, uh, requests for comment to the senior leadership team of As It Happens, to Carol Off mm-hmm. and, and to Robin Smythe and to John Perry. And we, we asked them about this, this you know, document, this union document of the, of the complaints. And can I actually read a part of the response yeah, that go I got ahead. back? Um, So a part of the response, and that's the part that we included in the story, but we've also put up the entire email online, is uh, the allegations in this note do not reflect their working conditions nor the atmosphere of as it happens. We had no knowledge of this list and we have no idea what purpose it served, if any. We have never seen it nor been presented with these allegations. So that's a, a denial that they're even aware of the allegations. So sort of aside from like whether they saw the list itself, they they don't they'd never even heard Carol off and the uh, and then the executive producer of the show, Robin Smythe, the senior producer John Perry, that they had never even heard these allegations. Now we knew that that's just not true. I emailed Chuck and I emailed Carmel from CMG and I asked, "Can you respond to this? Have have these three senior staff members, uh, Robin Smythe, Carol off, and John Perry?" seen this list or are they aware of the allegations and both the union and uh chuck thompson the cbc said yeah uh it's a bizarre scenario where you've got the cbc contradicting one of its top hosts and 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 two of its uh top producers if rather than you know talking about how this is libelous and defamatory and how it's all completely untrue every word of these 21 complaints from 12 of their colleagues it's all lies and they never even heard these lies before rather than saying that if they had simply said, 
of course it matters to us that our colleagues feel they've been mistreated this way. We don't necessarily agree with everything they say, but we take this seriously. We care about them. And we're going to keep working on this and keep talking to them until we work it out. I, I don't know if there's some institutional reason, if that leaves them open to a lawsuit or, or I, I don't know. But, you know, the truth is that if they were willing to respond to it that way, it might not have even come to this. And so I asked him, now that you're aware of these allegations, what, what do you think about your colleagues feeling this way? I received no response. Okay, thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jesse. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. And by the way, any information you have for our news reporting, contact Jane. She's at editor at canadalandshow.com. Our website, of course, is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. The next episode of Shortcuts goes up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen, the guy who handles our syndication for community and campus radio stations across this country. Yes, Canada Land is also a nationally broadcast radio show. That guy is Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us.